the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday. Excuse me. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call. 210 Three four zero ninety five eighty five is our primary number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can send questions via our mobile app, our Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner. And you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I need to ask a favor of you today. Uh, we have been having massive computer problems and email problems in particular today. And that's why I didn't give the questions at CalvarySA.com. Uh, we can't get those questions. So we're kind of at a um, at an impasse. We'll try to get it fixed by tomorrow. Uh, however, please today, instead of emailing with a question, uh, please take advantage of the phone lines and and uh, dial 210-340-9585 and have your question that way. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of Leviticus chapter 6. Um, that's tonight, 7 o'clock. It can be live streamed at calvarysa.com. And, uh, of course, uh, tomorrow, Thursday program, Paula will be live in studio with us. And um, we would love your comments and your participation on her program tomorrow. She's got um, the gift of encouragement. Take advantage of it. Okay, having said that, let me get to some questions that have been sent while I wait, sent in while we wait your phone call. Raymond says, in fact, I'm going to take this one second. I don't want to, I want to be a little bit more warmed up. Jeffrey says, what exactly does praying in the spirit mean practically? Jeffrey, there's all kinds of different ideas about what praying in the spirit is. Literally, however, uh, it just means to praying in the will of God. Jesus prayed in the will of his Father. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. And to pray in the Spirit, obviously, and this is part of our my Bible study tonight in Leviticus, uh, you've got to come to the Lord clean. In other words, you've got to have confessed your sin and repented. If you want your prayers heard, if you want to pray in the Spirit, then what you do is, is uh, you confess your sins and receive forgiveness. And, of course, that requires, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. Please help me to walk with you. And then you can be in the presence of the Lord. Your prayers can be heard. It also does not mean, Jeffrey, that it praying in tongues and, and a lot of the charismatic uh, craziness that goes on in our church culture, uh, praying in the spirit means automatically you got to pray in tongues. That's not at all what it means. It means praying in the will of God. To do that, you got to be right with God. That's confession and repentance. Um, you got to be walking with Jesus and you got to be willing to hear 
what his will is. You know, too often we're throwing up prayer requests and uh, we want God to answer our prayers, uh, but we don't even consider that maybe what we're praying is not the will of God. Uh, David writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's praying in the spirit, uh, delighting yourselves in the Lord. Jesus said, uh, the father is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And that means his will, Jeffrey, is more important than our will. Now, what I always do, just from my perspective, I, I let the Lord know, Lord, I want this to be your will. But what I really want is what you know is best for me. And I can rest in that, Jeffrey, and so can you. We can rest in the fact that God is going to do what is right for us, what's best for us, even if it's something that we don't really understand. So I hope that makes sense to you, Jeffrey. Thank you very much for the question. Here's the question from Raymond. He said, I listened to a message you gave where you said there's no solution to the homeless problem. Isn't that being too pessimistic? Well, Raymond, people a lot smarter than me have been trying to solve this problem, and it just can't be. Now, unlike a lot of those people, I actually have been um, in the trenches with with many of the homeless people and um, talking to them. They don't want to be in any other place. Um, there is certainly a lot of mental illness. Uh, I think we could do a better job as a as a society taking care of the mentally ill. Um, but you know what? You can't override someone's free will. You can't say, well, I'm going to build a shelter for you and you'll be safe and you'll have showers and uh, you, you'll be safe from, from people trying to steal from you. Uh, they don't want to be constrained by rules. Um, and, and there's just nothing you can do when you... Add the sheer numbers. And Raymond, I've had some opportunities, um, uh, do some traveling, California, San Francisco area, and other places. And the homeless situation, the, the cities have given themselves over to the homeless. Um, there are cities, San Diego is a good example, where uh, pretty expensive hotels in some of the most expensive real estate in the world, they've been given over to the homeless people. And, 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 of course, that's being subsidized to the hotel owners. Hotel owners, um, you know, even even at one point they were thinking about selling their hotel. They, they can't do it now because they're making too much money from the government. And people come in and out. And, of course, you've got drugs and prostitution and other types of uh, criminal activity going on. Um, they simply don't want to abide by the rules. And um, there's nothing you can do. You can't force them. Um, what you can do as a city, um, each municipality has got to decide how they're going to deal with the homeless. I'm sorry, with the homeless situation. And they're going to decide whether or not they're going to make uh, the street safe, uh, whether they're going to uh, elevate the needs of uh, normal taxpaying law abiding citizens. Uh, above that of the homeless who are not law-abiding and and do it that way. Now, compassion says we've got to be able to do something. But even God, Raymond, even God doesn't force people to do something. So why are we forcing people, making it easy for them to live a lifestyle of sin? We're enabling um, um, the homeless in their, in their breaking the law and making life miserable for other people. One of the really heartbreaking things, Raymond, that I've seen, I've talked to a lot of business people, um, business people are having to close their businesses because people can no longer get to their business without having to traverse through um, um, waste, human waste, uh, drug paraphernalia, uh, open prostitution uh, going on in the streets, harassment and all kinds of other things. And uh, so the, the, the problem is so huge right now that there's no solution. Every city has to decide now what they're going to do. And even in Texas where I think um, it's generally safe to say that we take a, a more conservative view of things and we value the law-abiding citizens a little bit more than, than some other cities do in this country. Um, we see the homeless situation 
um, beginning to get out of hand here as well. Uh, if you go to Austin, it's horrible. It's horrible. And, you know, the people in Austin who are paying the bills, the people in Austin who are law-abiding citizens, um, they're the ones paying the price uh, with a decreased business. Um, it's just it's just a really sad situation. So uh, nobody's asked me to solve it. Um, I have my ideas and opinions, but that's all they are, are my opinions. So in the meantime, um, pray for wisdom in our leadership, our local government. Um, pray for the people who are being hurt, whose lives are being upended by the homeless uh, in, in our major cities in particular. Um, and then tell them about Jesus. And Raymond, I want to say for, for you and for every believer, it's our responsibility to tell them about Jesus. It's all we got. What did Peter say to the beggar at the gate? Beautiful. Gold and silver have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise and walk. And we can say that, not with the miraculous uh, uh, portion of it, but we can say, here's what I've got for you. I've got Jesus. And he bailed me out of a mess. And I know he, if you'll walk with him, he'll also lead and guide you out of the mess that you're in. And if they want it, great. If they don't want it, there's nothing at all that we can do. You know, Raymond, one thing that we do, and I don't have anybody on hold, so I can take an extra second with this. Uh, We have a Joy of Jesus ministry um, at Travis Park on uh, the last Saturday of, of every October. Actually, this year it's October 21st, not uh, not the 28th. Um, but, but it is primarily a ministry of the homeless, and we uh, send our whole medical team out there. Um, uh, we, we feed them. We, we provide clothing, just tons and tons of clothing. Uh, we give them haircuts and makeovers. Uh, we put up porta-potties in the park. Um, uh, we have music and we, we do all kinds of things. It's, it's a huge, huge event every year. Um, and one of the things I tell our people here at the church before we go, is, I said, those guys are professionals at, at, uh, at conning people out of money. Don't even take any money to the park with you. And when somebody says, well, just give me a few dollars or just give me this, just say, look, I don't have any money. We were told not to bring any. We're here to give people Jesus. And what a great testimony that is relative to our faith in Jesus Christ. So, Raymond, that's the best I can do with that question. Um, nobody selected me anything to uh, have any responsibility for it. So we pray and we give him Jesus. Land says, does this first mean that everybody should participate equally in the church service? Why does only the pastor get to speak? Now, Lance gave, gave, us, gave me the verse, 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty six, and it says, What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction or revelation, a tongue or an interpretation? All these things must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now, Lance, what you've got here is a misunderstanding of what 1 Corinthians is all about. It is true 1 Corinthians 14 is about order in the church, uh, the use of spiritual gifts in an orderly fashion. But we have to remember that the entire book of 1 Corinthians is a letter of rebuke. And when I say rebuke, Paul is taking them to task because they are a church that's out of order. And so he says, what shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or word? No, there's supposed to be order in the church. Now, in our church culture, Lance, the pastor is the one who does the speaking. He is the one called by God to lead the church. As you know, that's the position that God has given me. It's my job to be there. And my job is to teach the word. I do it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um and we're on a pretty tight schedule, especially on Sundays. So we don't have time for people to stand up and interrupt or to run around and do things that they say are in the spirit of God. Um, I, I've actually had somebody come to me and say, Pastor, I've come here with a word from the, the, from the Holy Spirit for you. And uh, I'd like to, to stand up in the church and address uh, this, this, this word that I have. And I said, no. No. The, the service is given over to the teaching of God's word. And we know the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. We don't know that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. 
So, no, we're not going to give you that opportunity. So 1 Corinthians 14 is not uh, a, a primer on how to run a church service. It is instruction on how not to run a church service, to do it decently and in order. And so the pastor speaks because he's the one who's been called by God. He's the one who's teaching the, the, the Bible. Uh, and and uh, that's the order that God has established. So if you want to go to a church and, and you want people to listen to you, Lance, the thing you need to do is start your own church. Just start your own church. People don't want to do that because it's really hard. It's really a lot of work. And believe it or not, it takes a lot of money. What they want to do is come in and capitalize on the audience God has given somebody else. And that's simply not orderly in, in, in fashion at all. So let's sit quietly and learn. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and direct you. And um, maybe one day the Lord will lead you into uh, the role of a pastor. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is, we got Greg online one from Bolverde. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, uh, Pastor Ron, I appreciate your, your show and gives us a chance to call in and talk to you. Um, kind of a follow-up question from yesterday, uh, which was about if if God or if uh, someone, godly woman, were to come into my life, you know, without yeah. Satan or distraction and so forth. Um, is it not showing lack of faith, though? I just, uh, if you can keep me on in case I have a follow-up question, but I'm just kind of wondering, is it showing lack of faith if I were to go that direction, if that were to happen? Is that showing lack of faith for what I believe Holy Spirit told me back in June? Yeah, Greg, and, and this is hard because I, I know you and, and and I know your seriousness um, in your walk with the Lord. So, so I need to um, be sure that you're not misunderstanding me. But I'm going to speak generally to the issue rather than specifically. Um, and let me be even before I go there, let me say that I'm the most stubborn man in the world. If I believe God's spoken to my heart, nothing is going to change my mind. But in situations like the one you're in, so many of us um, remember, there's a lot of spirits out there speaking to us. First John chapter four, one uh, chapter four, verse one tells us to test the spirit because not every spirit is from God. And, and in just my own life personally, Greg, I found that a lot of those false spirits sound a lot like the Lord. And they'll, they'll, they'll say something to me that I'll hold on to because I think it's right. And then later um, the Lord will come alongside me and show me that that really wasn't from him at all. And we can't have any pride or or ownership of those things. You know, uh, um, Elisha um, didn't you know, he was surprised when God didn't tell him anything. But but throughout the, the Bible, both Old Testament and new, uh, we got people who are trying to hear from God and there's no clarity. I'll give you one example. The Apostle Paul wanting to go into Asia, believing with all of his heart it was the time. And and on three separate occasions, the Holy Spirit forbid him and sent him in another direction. And my answer to your question yesterday was, uh, because we can't be 100% certain that we're right. Now, I've got a lot of things going on in my life right now that I think the Lord is leading and directing. But Paula can tell you better than anybody one of the things that I'm doing in our prayer time. Lord, if if this is not from you, show me. If this is not, I think it is, Lord. I believe it with all my heart. But if it's not from you, Lord, show me or stop me or send me in another direction. Because then I can say, Lord, what I want isn't what I want. I want what you want. And I think sometimes, Greg, we take ownership of something that we heard at one time only for God to later make it clear that's not the case. And so in your specific question yesterday about uh, a, a godly woman comes along and, and she has an interest in you and you take an interest in her, um, I said it's not a lack of faith. In fact, I think it takes greater faith and greater humility to say instead, uh, you know, Lord, um, you know I believe this with all of my heart. Um, but but I really now believe you're leading me in another direction. So I don't think that's a lack of faith. I think that is a maturing faith. 
And in this answer, Greg, I am not suggesting at all that what the Lord spoke to your heart is not from him. I'm just saying that if it's not from him, at some point in the future, he will make that clear to you. Uh, I have a, a, a woman in the church who um, for seven years, the Lord told her to stay with her husband. Just stay. Nope. Stay. It was a horrible situation. And she did. And she was faithful. And and seven years goes by and the Lord speaks to her heart and says, now it's, it's time to go. Uh, the husband didn't repent. The husband didn't come back. Those kind of things. Uh, and, and then, of course, the Lord brought her a wonderful man that she'd been married to now for a long time and has another child with that man. And, and uh, you know, we just have to be careful about being 100% certain of things when it comes to the Lord speaking those things to our heart. I want to say one more time, I'm stubborn. Nobody's going to change my mind. But there are times when God actually changes my mind. And that was the the, the, the basis of my answer for you. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a really sad question from Jameson. Um, he wants to know, who will hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, Jameson's not sad because of you. It's sad because I think that's a verse that ought to strike terror in the hearts of every Christian. You know, we so casually talk about I'm backsliding. Uh, we so casually talk about, um, um, well, God understands my heart. Uh, it's why why I'm doing what I'm doing. Or uh, God, and God wants us to be very serious about um, our walk with him. And uh, the people that continue to walk in a direction that is opposite what the Bible tells us to do. Um, we're going to go to heaven. There's going to be a lot of people sitting in churches who come to church every Sunday. And uh, they'll, they'll, they'll pray, call Jesus Lord all the time. Um, but we need to remember that Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And the people that are living in disobedience, those are the people that Jesus is talking about. Now, in context, he's talking to the religious leaders. This is a parable. And and he's speaking specifically to them about them. And, and they were the ones who thought they were rightly representing God. They are the ones who thought that, uh, that, that they had a, an inside track to all of the rewards in heaven. And Jesus is simply looking at him and saying, you know what? You call me Lord or you, you talk to God. You call him Lord. Um, but the reality is, I don't know you. And that's what he said, uh, depart from me, for I never knew you. But Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we cast out demons or do other miraculous things? And Jesus said, yeah, but none of that had anything to do with me. And so, Jameson, what's going to happen here is uh, people are going to go to heaven. And at that point, Paul talks about where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. Uh, that will be a confession of 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 terror for for some, it will be a, a a righteous confession of worship for others. Um, but believe me, um, Jesus knows who he's who are his. In my study last week in Galatians on Friday night, I did one verse. Uh, God won't be mocked; uh, he won't be deceived. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about. So James, he's talking specifically about religious leaders who aren't born again. Um, practically speaking, for you and for me, he's talking about people who have the name Jesus on their lips, but don't really have Jesus in their hearts at all. So I hope that answers your question, Jameson. Thank you very, very much. Um, where are we here? Um, okay. Uh, I thought we had another question, but we don't. Uh, here's one I can do in the time we have left on this part. Uh, Bradley says, do you consider Calvinism heresy? Bradley, I do not. Calvinists are not heretics. Um, Calvinism is orthodox uh, Christian doctrine. I did not say it was correct Christian doctrine, but I said it was orthodox Christian doctrine. Um, the, the right father, the right son, the right Holy Spirit, they've got all of that. Uh, what they've got is, I think, a perversion of the gospel, but it's not another gospel. 
So, no, Calvinism is not heresy. Now, let me say this, Bradley. Uh, I think it's very seldom fruitful. Uh, by that, I mean if you've got people going to um, uh, a, a church, um, uh, a Calvinistic church, uh, I don't think there's a lot of joy. I don't think there's a lot of love. I don't think there's a lot of, of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it becomes sort of um, close to dead orthodoxy. Um, there are, of course, exceptions to that, Bradley, but uh, no, Calvinism is not heresy. They are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. I just think they have misjudged the character and the nature of God. I think um, they're reading the Bible through a, a systematic theology um, rather than finding their systematic theology by reading the Bible. And I hope that makes sense to you, uh, Bradley. So, uh, no, they are brothers and sisters in the Lord. I actually know and love a lot of Calvinists. Um, I listen to some Calvinist pastors. Um, I just throw out all of their election stuff because it makes no sense. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, one reminder now, I'm, I'm told that Pastor Ken, who's producing the show today, uh, can get questions, emails, um, uh, or questions from your emails. Now it's just going to be a little awkward because he's got to figure out a way to get it to me so I can see it. Uh, So we can take your email questions now, and hopefully we'll have all this fixed by tomorrow's program. But we'd love your phone calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Paul. Uh, Does God know or care about our individual struggles? Um, Paul, this question absolutely breaks my heart. Um, I, I can't imagine what would be the, the foundation of this question. Of course, God cares about our individual struggles. He, he cares so much that he sent his son to die. And, and his son cares so much. Jesus cares so much that he sent uh, the person of the Holy Spirit to live in those of us who are born again believers. Now, that does not mean we won't have struggles. Trials, struggles, suffering, pain, sickness, all of those things are part of life in a fallen world. You know, when people say, well, it just shouldn't be that way. Why, why doesn't God just make my life easy? Uh, because nobody's life is easy. The difference between you, Paul, and somebody who's not saved is that Jesus is going to go through your struggles with you. And the rest of the world has to go through their own struggles um, on their own without any help at all, without any direction, and and thus without any hope at all. So God cares so deeply, and what he wants from you, Paul, is simply for you to surrender uh, your life, and by that I mean every facet of your life, to him. He wants you to trust him, and he wants to show you just how much he cares. But in order to do that, you've got to come to Jesus on his terms. You can't come to him and say, well, Lord, I need you to do this or I want you to do this or I'm struggling. If you don't get me out of this, Lord, then what he wants is he wants you to surrender to him. And when you surrender to him, you're going to find out just how much God really and truly cares. I have a friend, and when I say friend, he's not really a friend. He's just somebody I've known uh, through uh, online conversation for, for, gosh, now a lot of years. And he's constantly saying, well, well, why do we even pray? Why do we even pray when God isn't answering our prayers? There's never a prayer that you pray that God doesn't answer. It's just sometimes, a lot of times he says no, because he knows the things that you're asking him for are not good for you. 
They're not part of his will for your life. Um, Sometimes he says, yes, those are the wonderful times. But, you know, a lot of times he's just quiet. Because what he wants us to do is walk with him, to get closer to him, to know him at a deeper level. And if we'll take the time to get to know him at a deeper level, Paul, then again, I want to emphasize, you will find out just how much he cares about every detail in your life. It takes faith to believe it. Our Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I'll tell you in closing the answer to your question, Paul, I'll tell you what I told uh, our church this past Sunday. You know, when things are going on in your life and, and, and you're really struggling with some things, Jesus' answer is to look up. Don't get so focused on the trials or the struggles that you're having, but instead look up. Focus on Jesus. Now, the enemy is not going to make that easy for you, but this is where we have to resolve Lord, when I'm struggling, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look to you. And Paul, let me tell you something. I'm Pastor Ron, but I have struggles just like you do. But here's what I know for sure, and I know this because God's track record is great. He's always with me. I'm never, ever alone. And when you find that out, when you find that place right in the middle of God's will, Paul, you're going to know just how much he's concerned. You know, Paul, uh, Just this is a sort of a, a metaphor for me personally, and I don't advise anybody else to do it, but it works for me. But uh, as I've said many times in the program, when I get up in the morning and go outside, today was a good example. Uh, it was cloudy, and I couldn't, couldn't see the sun at all. And yet I look at the eastern sky, and I, I greet the Lord the way I always do. Father, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And then on a day like today, I'll say, Lord, the clouds are hiding the sun. Now, that's my picture of, of Jesus is faithfulness. The clouds are hiding the sun. But here's what I know by faith. I know the sun is there. And you've always been faithful. And you've got such a good track record. How, how could I doubt you now, Lord? Paul, that's what God wants uh, for you. He wants you to get to the place where you know that he cares. Now, I'm going to suggest two things that I'm, I'm sure you're not doing. One, I'm sure you're not in the Word every day. If you want to know how much God cares about you, get in the Word. Read Second Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. Know, no matter what you're going through, that God is with you. And I know you're not in the Word, Paul. Probably because you're so focused on the struggles in life. But the other thing I know is that you're not taking time out of your schedule to walk with God and talk to Him. And when I say walk, it doesn't mean literally you have to go walk with Him. I do. I like that. But, but the idea is you've got to spend time with Him. You know, if you bought a puppy... And you never spent any time with that puppy. How would that puppy know that you love him? You could look at him from a distance and say, oh, that puppy's so cute. But if you're not hugging the puppy, if you're not loving the puppy, if you're not spending time and feeding that puppy, that puppy would never know that he's loved. And I don't mean this in a personal way, Paul, but you're the puppy. Jesus wants you to know how much he loves you, but you won't let him get close enough to care about you. So for you and all of the other people out there sort of lost in the struggles that you're going through, God loves you. He cares for you. He's got a plan for you. And if you follow him, you'll find your way out of the trial or the struggle that you're in at this particular time. Be praying, Paul. Thank you very, very much. Ella says, is it appropriate to say we are singing love songs to Jesus? Uh, Ella, it's, it's appropriate if you love him. It's, certainly it's appropriate. Uh, I've been criticized personally uh, for this very thing. I'll say, let's sing love songs to Jesus. You know, that's what worship really is. Uh, we're declaring our heart for the Lord. That's a love song. 
And uh, he see, he, by the way, Ella, he sang a love song to you. It's the song of songs in your Bible. Read all of the, the, the passages that are, are, are titled Lover. That's Jesus speaking to you. It's a poem. Those are lyrics. And he's telling you, I love you. And um, when you're doing worship, uh, singing love songs to God, of course it's appropriate and thrills him beyond measure, Ella. It thrills him beyond measure. Can you imagine what it's like for Jesus to recognize that the people that he loves so much he died for love him back? Now, that's obviously not the only way that we express our love for Jesus. Again, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. But if you're obedient to the Lord, if you're a, a woman of, the, of God's word, um, then the songs that will come um, out of your lips, the worship songs, then they are expressions of your love to Jesus. And I don't know a better or more personal way of, of um, indicating that that's where your heart is coming from. So if you love him, they're love songs. Um, if you're not obeying him, then you're not telling the truth. I tell our people here all the time, especially the worship teams, they're so accountable. The, the lyrics that they sing, um, they better be living those lyrics before they stand up before God's people and sing them. I want them to have a love relationship with the Lord as well. And, uh, you know, when we find that a worship leader um, has been a phony all along and not here at the church, that hasn't happened, thank the Lord. But, but you know, in the in the contemporary Christian music industry, uh, it's heartbreaking. Did they not mean all those things that they said? So, Ella, if you mean it, it is more than appropriate uh, to, to tell Jesus, I love you, and put it into words. Thank you, Ella. I appreciate the question very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from... Mark in Austin, I have a friend who goes to a church that is run by a group of elders instead of a pastor, and they claim that they don't believe in pastors. Have you ever heard of this? What are your thoughts? Um, yes, I, I've heard, uh, Mark, of churches like that, and typically they're people who have problems with authority. Uh, pastors, Ephesians chapter 4 says, are a gift to God's church. Uh, the fact that they don't believe in them doesn't eliminate the idea there that uh, they are uh, they're to be subject to the authority of a pastor in the church. God, God uses men from the time of Moses uh, all the way through the New Testament. God uses men and, and through the teaching of the word speaks to the body through those men. Now, here's one of the problems with those um, the people that say, well, no, the pastor, you don't find that in the Bible. Well, you find it throughout the Bible. But elders, in fact, uh, when Paul tells Timothy and Titus to appoint elders in the churches, um, what he's doing is he's talking about the, the office that we call pastor. These are the overseers. And it doesn't mean that, well, there's a group of overseers that, that control the pastor. Uh, that's not the case. And so this is an unhealthy out-of-balance church, Mark, and whatever influence you have uh, on your friend. Uh, you know, there's so many wonderful churches in, in the Austin area. Um, encourage them, exhort them as much as you possibly can to find a church where there is a, a, a gifted Bible-teaching, Bible-believing, Bible-practicing pastor and sit under his authority. And uh, I think, as I said, that these are people that typically um, uh, are, simply want uh, not want to be under any kind of authority. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the question. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor. How are you doing? Jimmy, I'm doing well. Long time. I know. You're probably seen at the retreat. Oh, good. My vacation. I was going to tell you, uh, the other day I um, proposed this question. I knew there's there's no such thing as purgatory, but I said, can you show me in the Bible where uh, the word purgatory is? And and I, would, I opened up a can of worms. But you know what? I did it on purpose because I'm going to let people know that there's no such thing as purgatory. And, uh, and um, 
there were some Catholic friends of mine saying, why are you judging us and all this? And I said, and then they showed me a bunch of scriptures that support. And then they opened this thing up of the book of Maccabee. I never heard <laughs> of a book of Maccabee. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, the it's, Mac- you know, Maccabees, Jimmy, are apocryphal books. And what the Catholic Church had to do is, is invite uh, ancient writings into their canon of scripture uh, so that they could justify their traditions. And um, the the apographa is was never considered part of Jewish scripture. Um, it, it was never considered as authoritative. And uh, the problem with uh, uh, the, the doctrine of purgatory is that it's frankly not in the Bible. And so the the extra uh, non canonical books um, that uh, that they rely on to support their traditions, uh, those they, there's an agenda there. And purgatory uh, is um, it simply doesn't exist. And Jimmy, you know this. Hebrews nine twenty seven says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then face the judgment. And um, the the real issue with the apocryphal books is that they are constantly in contradiction to what we know is the revealed canon of scripture that we we've had from the very beginning. So. Um, um, you, they're putting a lot of hope and faith in a second chance that doesn't exist. Jimmy, one thing that you said, you said you, you did it on purpose, and I know your heart. I'm just doing this for the rest of the audience. Um, remember, w- healthy discussion about things is good, but we never want to do anything to argue with somebody. If somebody has a heart to hear, then we take all the time and the tenderness and the care to share with them. But we never do it just to debate. Um, There's never any fruit that comes from that. Um, Just tell people the gospel. It's appointed on a man once to die and then face the judgment. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, and, and, And let the Holy Spirit do the work of converting them. You know, Jimmy, one of the things that uh, is clear when you talk especially to uh, to Catholics uh, is that they're holding on to those traditions because they want to believe there's a second chance. They want to believe there's a second chance. Um, illustration of that, uh, our president, who we need to be praying for, our president um, has run afoul of a lot of Catholic um, bishops <clears throat> because of his position. I'm sorry, because of his position on abortion. And he's been called out repeatedly and with no repentance at all, just completely ignores it. And and what they will write is all the traditions. Well, I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic. I love the Catholic Church. Uh, and, and they're hopeful that they can live any way they want to live, even if it's in contradistinction to the will and the word of God, uh, and still be okay. And somebody that's never lived his life for Jesus Christ, somebody that's never been born again, uh, wouldn't you like to believe that there's a second chance? So our job is to let him know that there is no second chance. Thank you very, very much for the call, Jimmy. Good to hear from you, and I'm glad you're going to the retreat coming up in September 7th through 9th, and we'll talk more about it. Uh, and you and the radio audience are also uh, invited if you'd like to come and join us. Good friend of mine, Kevin Green. He is, uh, um, by the way, the the uh, writer and the performer of our bumper song, our intro song, uh, The Word to Stand On. And uh, good, good guy. I love him with all of my heart. He's going to be here and be our speakers. Here is an anonymous question. If a man is effeminate in mannerisms, but not gay or trans, is that sinful? Um, The answer to the question, anonymous, is no. Um, um, Our mannerisms are our mannerisms. Uh, I think we can cross a line if that's our intention. Uh, you know, God made it clear in the Old Testament, his heart toward men who behave like women or dress like women and women who behave like men or dress like men. He said that's an abomination uh, before the Lord. Uh, but if a, a man is a Christian and he happens to have 
uh, effeminate mannerisms, uh, not flamboyant, not flaunting it, um, certainly not involved in a gay or trans lifestyle, um, then there's nothing at all sinful about what that man is doing or about his life. Um, I, I just think we need to be much, much slower to judge people based on outward appearances. And uh, I think we're all guilty of that to some degree, especially when the culture that we live in is so uh, sex and gender obsessed. Um, it's easy for us to say, uh, well, that person is 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 gay, we're, we're, and, we're, and we can be wrongly judging them. We got some men in our church who have been faithful for many, many years, who when I first met them, my first thought was, is he gay? And of course, that wasn't the case, but it's just because of the stereotypes that we've sort of got emblazed on our, on our brains. So, no... Um, if a man's walking with Jesus and is uh, effeminate in his mannerisms, again, not flaunting it, not trying to pretend, um, um, but walking with the Lord. There's nothing sinful about that. In fact, uh, it is to his and God's glory in the process. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think it's we got a little bit of time. If anybody wants to have a call, about six minutes left in the program. Uh, Peter says, um, Pastor Ron, I've forgiven someone who really hurt me. Uh, how do I set boundaries in the relationship now because I still can't trust them? Does forgiving mean I have to trust them as well? Um, Peter, this is a really difficult question. Uh, you know, immediately we feel guilty. Well, well, God forgave them, so I've got to forgive them, and I and I forgave them. Uh, but But there's still this question. Um, trust is earned. Trust just isn't freely given. We can trust God because he's earned our trust. But with people, fallen humankind, um, they have to earn our trust. Once a trust has been betrayed uh, in a marriage, when, when one spouse has violated the marriage covenant, cheated on the other, um, you know, we can forgive and we can say, okay, we're going we're gonna to work this out and we're going to walk through. But the cheater needs to prove that he or she is trustworthy. It's not just, okay, well, uh, I forgive you, so now I'm going to trust you completely. No, that's uh, we're humans. We aren't God. God knows the heart. It's God who won't be mocked or deceived. Uh, but we can be. And so what we need to do is be wise about that. So forgiving someone simply sets you free from carrying the burden of anger or hate um, or, or any other of the emotions attached to that. Um, but that doesn't mean that you suddenly take them at their word. Um, you just watch them, watch their their, their lives, uh, see uh, what kind of change that you uh, see. And, and, and if their heart is genuine, um, you'll see it and one day you'll be able to trust. Uh, I've seen a lot of marriages restored um, to to. to, to a hundred times better than the marriage was as a result of adultery being committed. But the, the, the cheater then demonstrates his or her faithfulness over a period of time. And if they do that, then trust will be built back up. But no, you can continue to set those boundaries, Peter. Um, uh, that's just wise. It's a safe thing to do. Um, pray for those people. And I believe with all my heart that the Lord will let you know when it's okay to trust them again. So forgiving doesn't mean that we forget what they did. Uh, forgiving means I'm no longer bound um, to the anger, to the bitterness, or to the hatred of that person. Uh, and uh, I'm praying for them and, and allow the Lord to open your heart. Uh, be open and vulnerable to them, but certainly wait until you've seen evidence that their walk with Christ is now genuine for sure. Good question. This will be my last question um, from Gina. You know what, Gina? I'm going to leave this question for tomorrow because I think this is a great question for Paula. So let me go to the next one. Um, it's anonymous. Is it okay for me, a woman, to cut my hair short if I don't look masculine, um, anonymous, of course, it's okay for you to cut your hair short. Uh, it's okay to, to shave it off. It's okay to do 
whatever you want to do. That's a misunderstanding of of uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Um, but yes, it's okay to cut your hair short. Uh, do what you want to do. We are free in Christ. Grace is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you made it clear in your question that it's not to look masculine. That's not what you're trying to do. Uh, it just appears as though you've sort of been caught in a very legalistic background um, where women have to have long hair and they have to have long dresses and those kind of things. And it's simply not true. It's simply not true. Uh, one of the more touching moments I've had in all of my years here, uh, I taught out of 1 Corinthians, uh, the passages that you're talking about. And uh, at the end of it, this woman with hair literally down below her butt, uh, she came to me immediately following the service with tears in her eyes. And she said, Pastor Ron, did I understand you correctly that it would be okay, it would not be sin if I cut my hair? And I said, of course it's okay. And she started crying, I mean sobbing crying. She had been under that bondage of of legalism for so long. And to understand that that God gives her the freedom to do those things, it was fine. So uh, enjoy it very, very much. Anonymous, thank you uh, for the question. Gina, we'll get to your question with Paul tomorrow on the program. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Paul will be here tomorrow. We'll see you then at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.